Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme Tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you too. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited today because um, we have a guest speaker who's going to be talking to us all about taking a break from working as an immigrant. Our guest is Diana Valdivia. I'm going to be going ahead and um, introducing her with her bio, so I'll get us started. Diana Valdivia most identifies as an immigrant woman of color whose immigration status is undocumented. Her experiences have led to organizing within immigrant rights and higher education. She recently retired from student affairs at the age of 33 with her most recent role as the director of undocumented student services at UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> During this transition, she is resting, taking the time to assess what's next for her and breaking intergenerational cycles of the immigrant hardworking work ethic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I keep adding my little reactions. She's also currently la launching a platform, First Gen And, to share and uplift the multi-generational, oh no, the multi-dimensional experiences of first-generation immigrants and those of immigrant descendants. Uh, this, is, this is why I'm so excited to have you on today, Diana. Welcome to the podcast. Yay, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I kept having to interrupt myself as I was reading your bio because I was just getting even more excited. It's like one thing to know someone's another thing to then read their bio and then be reminded why they're so awesome. I'm like, oh, I, I already knew that, but... <laughs> um, so for um, folks that don't know you, um, I would love for you to get us started by sharing a little bit more about yourself, background, backstory, educational mm -hmm. trajectory, whatever um, you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, it's so funny because I feel like that's literally like the most accurate bio I've ever written of myself. I'm like on point where I'm at. Um, so other things to know about me, um, I'm an immigrant and my immigration status is undocumented, but a little bit more to that. Um, I moved to the U.S. when I was 13. Um, this October was our 20th year anniversary in this country. And I don't know how we call it anniversary, but, you know, it gets the gist of it. Um, so I moved here when I was 13, I moved to San Diego um, County. So lived in border towns, which I think it has a lot to do with what I do. Um, and how I perceive the world and my traumas and many things um, having to, uh, or lived in, in San Diego County, but also lived in border towns because um, I lived in Mexicali and back California. And then I also lived in Ciudad Juarez growing up. And then um, I went to college too in San Diego County. I went to Cal State San Marcos um, back in the day when there was no California Dream Act and no DACA. There was only a way of life. 40, which uh, at that at that moment, um, it made it quote unquote semi-affordable to attend a CSU. Um, and so I went to Cal State San Marcos, did an undergrad um, in business administration, got a minor in communication. And then again, back in the day, there was like no DACA, no side of it, um, and no California Dream Act. Um, and I was able to go into grad school. Um, and part of it was because that was um, like I had limited options as someone who didn't have a work permit um, and didn't have financial aid. 
Can you expand a little bit about that? Because I know that's something that I've had folks actually ask is like, can you go to grad school if you're undocumented? And I know the options were different for you than mm -hmm. they are now, um, mm -hmm. but maybe, maybe you could share a little bit about that, about what it was like for you to go to grad school versus what it's like now, because I know you you also, like as a former director of undocumented student mm -hmm. services, um, you're more familiar about that than I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love talking about grad school. I'm doing a panel tomorrow about it, and I'm like, yes, sign me up. Like, I love talking about it because, um, yeah, I mean, back then I was like, I'm pretty sure I was the only I, well, I knew I was the only one and the potentially first one in my program. Um, so I went to San Diego State, um, but I did have two other friends. Well, yeah, two other friends and then my sister go to grad school at the same time and we all went to San Diego State. And so there's no restriction into in terms of going into law or um, graduate school. Like there's no federal law that prevents undocumented folks to go to grad school. Um, the biggest piece, the biggest piece, is the financial aspect of it. Um, and so, you know, I was I lived with my parents both undergrad and grad school, and that's potentially one of the only ways that I was able to afford to go to grad school. But my last um, semester of grad school, the California Dream Act went into effect. And at the CSU level, um, most of the CSUs are able to offer financial aid to graduate students. And that meant that I had access to financial aid. So I think um, based on my income, which was not a lot, um, I got most of my tuition covered. So tuition 4,500 or something like that. Wait. That was just your last semester, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like literally the, like it passed and I was like, oh my God, this is financial aid. What? <laughs> like, because I didn't have any financial aid except for like one scholarship that I had applied that I got. Um, so don't do that. Apply for scholarships and get all the money that you deserve. Uh, but, you know, I was working and was only able to um, get one scholarship and only one um, or the California Dream Act um, or access to financial aid because of the California Dream Act. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I was like $600 instead of $4,000, I will take it. And so um, in my second year of grad school, I got my work permit. And so that was the other thing too. My first year of grad school, um, I had got an assistantship. So I was, I didn't know many undocumented folks, but I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna apply because I did a program where like they set you up with um, interviews to do assistantships. And so I think I might've gotten one or two um, assistantships, but I couldn't do them because of the lack of social security. Um, so I ended up getting an internship that was not paid um, and not my best experience per se, but that was more on like the site as opposed to like the me not having a work permit. Um, but then my second year, um, I got a work permit. And so Right now, having work permits help and not many folks have, or, you know, they're still undocumented folks that don't have work permits. Um, but now having a work permit helps. Um, going to, if you're going to a master's, consider CSUs. I'm super biased because I went to CSUs and they have provided financial support. Um, and I know PhDs is a little bit different, um, but I have friends that have gone through sort of all the pipeline that you can with like, law school, medical school, um, and grad school in general, um, and being able to, and, you know, again, there's different components, and the biggest one I would say is financial, um, and usually one of the things that I tell folks is that as much as I would want to tell folks, like, 
yes, you're going to get like this full-time scholarship and like that's it. A lot of the times what I tell undocumented students is that it might take multiple source of fundings. And, you know, this might be a little bit similar to just first-gen U.S. citizens, but it's still different, right? Because even though like say, you know, A is like uh, financial aid from the California Dream Act and B is like scholarships, there's no access to the federal um, funding aspect of things. And so that might be like where people fall short. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit, um, it's more accessible grad school, I think for undocumented folks. And the other thing too, you know, sometimes I think now I see more people not being the only ones um, or like the first ones. Um, I had a, um, I had a faculty the like the faculty director of my program who um, we were both learning about that guy because it had just come out and he's like, what does this mean? What is that? You know, like, what does that entail? Um, that was like super supportive. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think it helps that now the, the language is more kind of widely available so that mm -hmm. way it's not unfamiliar territory and when it's not unfamiliar territory more more programs are like learning about how to work with undocumented students and because I I remember when I was in I mean we're we're the same age so yeah. <laughs> when I was an undergrad I had friends who were undocumented and just how hard it was for them to have to figure out funding having to figure out which scholarships they were and weren't eligible for because the language was unclear how to you know they they thought about tuition more than I necessarily did because I knew that I was covered with either a Pell Grant or loans mm -hmm. and probably were even more financially literate than I was mm -hmm. because they had to think about it whereas for me I was very naive and um I didn't learn about financial literacy in undergrad. I wish I had, because then I probably wouldn't have accepted all those loans. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. And there's right now there's some loans available for undergrads who are undocumented and also for grad school. Um, there's a couple um, of things available for like loans. Like I've had friends being able to take loans. I think the last thing that I'll say too is that I think, so there's like the financial aspect. I think the other aspect was um, it's work experience. So I think yeah. there's a difference um, in that. Um, I was able to have way too many jobs when I was an undergrad <laughs> um, and some of them didn't pay um, in student affairs that allow me to feel competitive to be able to apply for graduate programs. But that could be another layer. Like I, when I was working with undocumented students full-time, that was one of the things like trying to come up with a resume if you had limited experience and not being able to have access to those experiences, especially if you didn't have a work permit. Um, but at the end of the day, the one the number one thing that I tell folks, which is an advice that one of my friends gave me, is that your job is to apply and tell them why you're the best and most competitive applicant. Your job is not to decide whether you get in or not. That's right. literally their job <laughs> to figure out who gets in and who doesn't. And I think the other piece too is that graduate programs should be providing um, lots of financial um, support because undocumented students make programs and feels better, period. Yes. Like our experiences make um, things better and that's valuable and that needs to come with some um, financial support. Right. Right. So you, it's, it's, um, I'm grateful that you're sharing a little bit more about your backstory. 
And then also kind of the work that you've done um, working with undocumented students. But you came today to talk about taking a break and yes. taking a break from working because you just mentioned I, that you had a lot of jobs. So um, I yes. would love to transition into that because I feel like it's such a big shift. And I would love like to learn about that transition. How like what was that like for you? And and why is it so important to, to share this message of taking a break, especially now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been working since I was 18. Um, I had a job all the way in, in undergrad, like for five, six years, um, for six years that I was able to have a job that paid. And in undergrad, at one point, um, I had three jobs um, and two of them did not pay. So like literally my last year of um, undergrad, I, to be honest, I don't know how I did it. And it feels like a blurb. Because now I think about it, I'm like, how did I have three jobs, which at the end of the day was kind of having like a full-time job, take five courses and then apply for grad school. I ended up only applying to one school because I was like, how am I supposed to do all this? Um, but part of it, it felt like, well, one with the financial aspect of it, like I wouldn't have had the other two jobs that didn't pay if they actually paid me. Uh, but also feeling like, and this is this is common with undocumented folks, is that we do have to perform and do better than our um, peers um, because we don't have access to things. And so um, a little bit of that is very real. And I think a, a little bit of that is internalized, the, the hardworking <laughs> ethic. Because um, I remember in the job that I had when I was undergrad, like people complimenting and being like, you're a hard worker and like back then I was like oh yeah I'm a hard worker but now I'm just like I don't want to be a hard worker I just want to chill and if I'm gonna have a job like I'm gonna do it in sustainable ways as opposed to having to sort of feed into this like hard work um, and I think it has a lot to do with the the immigrant ethic um, I was gonna mention yeah, like, too. yeah <laughs> Yeah, and so I had those jobs, and then in grad school, I still had one job, and then um, it's funny, because once I got my work permit, I actually took a break, which is a, a little while, I feel like, because I'm like, oh, here, I went a work permit, and I took a break, so my last, um, my last year of grad school, I took a break, uh, but I was still doing grad school and I started organizing. So I learned more about how that came about and what organizing was all about. So I was traveling, volunteering and doing all that fun stuff. When you say you break, like, sorry to interrupt, like, do you mean like, like a semester or a year or like a few weeks? What does that mean? You well, it, you know, it's funny because I'm like, I need another word because it wasn't a break. <laughs> like I was still doing grad school, right? Oh. Doing, yeah. So that's yeah. like, maybe it's a... A partial break and it's also like a break from having to work like three jobs um, yeah. and having to do it all so so yeah so it wasn't a break um it was more of a uh a break from the full-time job yeah. aspect of it um, but I was volunteering and I was still doing grad school um and doing that and then right after grad school uh my um my confidence was I think uh, one of the lowest points that it has ever been as it relates to 
applying to jobs because here I was graduating from a master's but not having the same experience as my peers. And so I would go into job interviews and I could see it and other people who are interviewing can see it. And so um, I decided to transition into nonprofit work. I'm organizing DACA clinics. And to this day, I don't regret it. And I think a lot of the times when you're in grad school, it's great to have a cohort that you can relate with, but it's also a lot of pressure because everyone's applying for jobs and you compare yourself. And so I stopped doing that because I'm like, I just have to accept that my experience is completely different from my cohort, period. Like there was no other undocumented person in my cohort. And so I stopped doing that. And then um, I was doing organizing for, for a year. And then the, the job, like the job that I wanted to do when I went into grad school, um, a bunch of positions came up. Um, to work at the UC with undocumented students and I applied I got a couple interviews I ended up in the middle of California never ever uh, before that gone to Merced um, and I lived in Merced for two years working with undocumented students and then um, working with undocumented students for almost uh, five years at UCSB and so I've always been working <laughs> like it just working, whether it was like, you know, part-time volunteering or whatever that is, always been working since I was 18 or being in grad school, it's just working, 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 producing, producing, producing. And so I was supposed to take this break that I'm on in summer 2020, but <laughs> um, as we know, there is a pandemic. And when I had submitted my resignation, I was very open with my supervisor about the fact that I needed to move because my partner lived in another city and she was she is super supportive and open and all that good stuff and so it was February 2020 or no March 2020 when they were gonna get ready to post my position and I was like um can we hold on off on that because I need more time to transition because um, I was going to take a break from like working, working. And so this break has been sort of in the making for a lot longer. Um, and then I was able to take it a year after. Um, and I think one of the things that happened for me, because um, I think about this often during this break, I think it's hard to take it when it feels like you need to be, I mean, we're in the middle of the pandemic, like I should be doing something, I should be volunteering, I should be doing this and that and that. Um, but it also feels like this is the time, like there's never gonna be a correct time or like the best time to actually take a break. And so I put my foot down with myself, which I do a lot when it comes to taking care of myself. Um, like I am way better than I was when I was in my early 20s. Um, and I told myself like, yeah, no, this needs to be like the time that you take a break. And um, I can go more into all those things that I tell myself. I'm like, no, I need to be working. But then I'm like, no, I need to just chill for a moment. And I wonder what it is that that shifts from your 20s to your 30s or even for some people, it's their 40s and 50s <laughs> that you reach that point where you I don't know if it's just complete and utter burnout or it's your body telling you and forcing you to take a break or you reach a point of like wisdom where you no longer care what other people think and you define your own hap joy happiness success I don't know um, because I, I can 
we have very different paths, but I can resonate and relate to so much of what you said, even down to the rhetoric of the, the, the hardworking immigrant. It's, mm -hmm. It still applies to children of immigrants as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, it was, it, I always prided myself in being hardworking. I was like, oh, I may not be as smart as my peers. I, again, assuming that I wasn't smart, mm -hmm. uh, but I am going to outwork them. Mm -hmm. And then uh, outworking everybody up to the point where I made myself sick and then realized I, I too needed to take a break. Um, so anyway, I don't know what the question is, is except that I was like, it's, it's interesting that you, you reach this point in your 30s and I can... I know that there will be listeners. So my listeners, the age group, according to like the data that I have, you know, it's, it's people in their 20s, um, like as young as 18, all the way up to their early 30s. That's like the average listener. So it's mostly in their 20s. Mm -hmm. And they're probably most of, of them are either an undergrad or taking a, a gap year, a few gap years, or they're starting grad school. And um, they're not there yet. They're not at that point where they think that they can or they realize that they can even take a break. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 I think for me, there's like a couple of things. So one, like culturally, we're not there. Um, and the U.S. is like literally the poster child for like overworkers, like because of the conditions that we live under. Like that's a whole ass, like a whole other thing. Uh, but because of that, so like when I was telling people like, hey, yes, I'm transitioning, like I cannot tell you how many people were like, so what are you doing next? And then I would literally say, I am chilling. Like, I'm I sorry just... if I asked you the same question. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and not if we're... I did, I don't remember. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I think like part of me, like half of me is like, mm, it's super annoying. And the other half is like, I can't get mad at people if they never have seen people take a break like I might literally be the only one I have a couple of friends now that are in their early 30s and um two of them are taking a break and one of them took a break but that's it <laughs> like I have a lot of friends and there's not that many of us that have been able to take a break and I think culturally is because we expect people to work and work and work and when you tell someone I am just taking a break and just doing that like there's no other job there's no hidden agenda that I have there was no issues with, with my job like I'm literally just taking a break and it's really hard for folks to digest the possibility of just taking a break um, and then I think the other thing for me that has happened is my relationship to money my relationship to my financial stability um, so I wouldn't have been able to take a break um, even though like between grad school and having my full-time job at UC Merced, um, I decided to take um, a job that wouldn't pay as much as I would have with the master's. Um, so I feel like that was sort of like my baby step to be like, one of these days I'm gonna take a break, <laughs> but like a full break. And so I, I think that has been like a game changer, um, particularly as an immigrant. And I think the other thing too, a lot of learning that I had to do about like, you know, growing up, producing means money and producing means money that I can use to help out my parents, to help out, to like build quote unquote generational wealth. Um, and, you know, like, and there's some level of access that I have. I don't have any student loans. 
um, and I have like um, car loans that I have to pay, but they're not, you know, the biggest. And um, right now my partner is the one helping me. Um, he like takes on all the, all the costs of leaving. Um, and so they had, for me, it was, it was unlearning that I can rely on a partner um, to do the bare minimum <laughs> of financially supporting me. Um, because in my 20s, if you would have told me, like, I was like, Miss Independent, like, whatever. If you told me, like, hey, when you're in your 30s, like, you're going to have a man, like, help you, blah, 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 all this really toxic, <laughs> like, way of not seeing that, like, you can be interdependent with someone as opposed to, like, yes. codependent. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, so I have to do that, too. Um, and my partner, we've been together for almost four years and, um, he's like super supportive with me and taking this break. Um, and he's also able to, he works in STEM. So I'm like, again, bare minimum for him to be able to support me. Um, but, uh, like, I feel like that's a whole, uh, like a other, um, thought of train or train of thought as it relates to like the unlearning and relearning that I had to do with money and having access to money and stability and I'm like ready to be applying for jobs now because I'm like okay my savings is getting a little bit shorter <laughs> um, and so I'm gonna have to like work but you know I think that's the other thing too for me like right now I'm in the position where we're renting and there's a pressure to like have a house um, and so I had to tell myself like you know it's gonna happen when it happens like I'm not gonna rush like this period um like I could be working so that we're like in this path to build generational wealth but I'm like no like it is worth for me to take a break right now yeah. um and like the money is gonna come when it comes and I like even did I've been doing a lot of vision boarding in the in, during my break and I did one around um financial resources and thinking about the that they are and can be abundant. Um, like one of my mantras has to do with if an emergency ever happens, I have communal um, financial abundance that you know my parents can help me, my sister can help me, my partner can help me. Um, so instead of thinking of money as a deficit, which has been literally my whole life, um, being able to count on other folks to be like, if an emergency comes, someone will get me and that's okay. You said so much there. There <laughs> is so much to unpack and we only have, I know. I, I want to stick with the time, but yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the whole money aspect of it is, I think it should be a separate episode and, and it, um, I think we'll like, shift some paradigms you know for mm -hmm. folks listening I know mm -hmm. it would have if I had been the listener um but being in that position where you where you're you know going from that scarcity to that abundance mindset is huge even if you don't have a lot of money in your savings is even that shift that you went through of like I have abundance through the community that will support me and has my back in case anything happens that is so true um, even like for myself right now, I'm waiting any day now, hopefully we'll get a visa to move abroad. But in the meantime, I'm staying at my mom's and I told myself I moved out at age 17 
And I've been working ever since I was 16 and then didn't stop working until this year. Like every year I always had one job, two jobs, sometimes even three jobs. And I told myself at 17, I'm never going to move back home ever mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because it, it was just one of those things that I, I prided myself on being the first to move away and work and be mm -hmm. independent, et cetera. And now I'm here and I'm like, ha, 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 never say never. <laughs> but at the same time, so incredibly grateful to even mm -hmm. have that option. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. And then you also mentioned this whole you know, idea of constantly kind of unlearning the messages that we are kind of are raised with, whether it's culturally, you know, whether it's based on you know, our family, whether it's the culture of the, the country that we're living in. And then you mentioned interdependence rather than codependence. And I think that's a big one, especially for folks who are partnered, you know, um, because that was a big thing too, like for me and for a lot of people like growing up, like I was, was raised by a single mom who taught me never depend on anybody but yourself um, to take care of yourself because you never know. You know, my dad passed that you know, when he was in his early 40s. So my mom learned really hard, like you can't depend on someone financially because anything can happen. But also like allowing yourself to be um, interdependent and to uh, um, even like that reciprocal type of um, relationship mm -hmm. where I got your back, you got mine. So mm -hmm. just because you're providing and supporting me financially doesn't mean that I'm not supporting or providing for you in other ways and vice versa, like our situations and circumstances change all the time. So for the mm -hmm. longest, I was the primary breadwinner mm -hmm. and now I'm not. And it's mm -hmm. even like, for me, I still struggle with that. So one other question I wanted to ask you, well, actually two, I guess it's two questions. One is like, are there any learning or what are some learning lessons that you've gained from your break? And also how I think this is like just an idea that I've been struggling with for myself is how do we define ourselves outside of the work that we do? <laughs> Literally my life for the past six months because I'm like, who am I? Like, what do I do? What's life? Like, it's a essential crisis for sure. Like I had my moments. I think, I mean, I think one of the, one of the learning lessons is like the roller coaster of taking a break. And, you know, for folks that are listening, they might be like, well, she's taking a break. Like, how can she be in an emotional roller coaster? And I'm like, well, I am. Well, <laughs> I all so. of your shit comes to you when you have the time to think about it. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I feel like working for me was a coping mechanism to run away from my problem. <laughs> and it is for folks, right? Like, overworking yeah. is a way of mm -hmm. coping um, for folks. And so when you have to, like, figure out more of who you are and your things like yeah now you literally have the time and so I've been thinking a lot about labor like interesting enough I was not expecting to be thinking about labor <laughs> a lot of the time while I'm taking a break um, and thinking about how we can create ways of um, like sustainable uh, ways of working because I think one of my pet peeps when I was working um, is that I did the best that I could to take care of myself. And I have a interesting relationship with the word self-care, the concept self-care, because we really need community care. And I think a lot of the times when we talk about self-care without systemic ways of taking care of folks, it's a little bit of gaslighting to be like, hey, take care of yourself when we really need systemic ways of um, taking care of each other. Um, 
so yeah so the roller coaster has been something that like I I didn't I yeah I didn't think about that and I think I would say a disclaimer to my experience um about four months ago I started having um joint pain in my hands um and so I think that impacts a lot of the ways in which I'm experiencing my um break um so having to do physical therapy and all that stuff and I think if I didn't have my joint pain, my experience would be a little bit different, uh, but I actually have hobbies. I think as an immigrant, sometimes someone asks you, what are your hobbies? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> and so I actually have hobbies. I'm like, like I used, like I have had hobbies, but I think it just hits different. I think when you're on a break, it just like, it hits different to like have a hobby. Um, I think the, um, maybe one of the last things that I'll share in terms of like learning um, and this is a little bit of like a tip so when I told my parents that I was going to take a break and uh, to put a context my dad has been working forever mm -hmm. and my mom is a um, stays at home um, and does um, you know the the familial work um, you know like I think it was it was not of a shock because I feel like my parents know <laughs> the kind of kid that they raised to mm -hmm. be rebellious in, in some kind of way um but you know they their concern they have concerns and I should talk to them I'm like are you still concerned that I have a break <laughs> or that I'm gonna break because I think it's hard for them to then be like what like you're taking a break uh, but I think over the years they have also um shifted how they think about resting like when I was working, I would tell my dad, like, oh, you know, I'm taking sick days. And he's like, yeah, you should, like, take them. They're yours. Right. Um, and so I think that's another thing, too, that I've learned and sort of a tip. It's a, com like, you know, with my partner, it was like, yeah, take as much as you need. With my oh. parents was a little bit of, like, are you sure? Like, you know, are you sure, sure? <laughs> type of thing. And it was sort of like a one-time conversation. Um, but I'm sure they're a little bit worried of like, when is she going to get a job? Does she need help? And all those things. Um, and then your second question, I can't remember. Oh, no. Yeah, like, I already answered. Like, how do, <laughs> no, well, you, you answered about some of the lessons learned. And also it's like, how do we even define ourselves outside of the work that we do? Uh, I feel yes. like that's the tough the tough maybe it's a rhetorical question like maybe we can't actually answer it because I know I struggle with that too well it's funny because um so I haven't really been bored like in my life like bored is not a thing that I experience um or boredom is not a thing that I experience um I can't like I literally cannot remember when was the last time I was bored but except last week it was the first time that I was actually bored I was like what do I do with myself um and so it took six months I think of a break to actually experience that and being okay with it like boredom is not like a bad thing I think because it's just you existing um like one of my friends um who I've like talked to about this break um was sharing that like our purpose is just to exist and I think that's literally one of the things that I learned. Like I, I used to have a dream job, which is literally the dream job that I had. And now um, I think about working a lot different than I used to. And um, I don't necessarily have dream jobs. I have more of like, what are the conditions of like, 
what are the conditions and like, what do I want to do? What kind of impact do I want to make? Um, but I think about work just so much different. Um, but ask me in like six months after I start working again, how I'm like defining myself because it's so hard, right? Like when you introduce yourself, you're like, you oh, I'm doing help this. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I, if my bio was like from the time that I was working, it would have been like Diana's the director of undocumented student services. And like, that would have been like the first thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and my credentials would have been like part of it too. Um, and so that's why I say the bio is like literally to the point right now, <laughs> because it doesn't focus as much of like what I'm doing or um, really sort of detaching myself of um, who am I outside of work. Um, which I'm um, so many other things than That's my so productivity. Powerful. Yeah. 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 yeah I, um, <laughs> I have a feeling that um, I'm going to get a lot of listens <laughs> or you're going to get a lot of listens in this, in this episode, because um, a lot of folks are, are thinking about that. I mean, some of my most played episodes have been, are you thinking about quitting grad school or like why I left higher education? Like those episodes, it's like folks are thinking about, you know, what, what is life outside of, mm -hmm. outside of say the folks who are listening to me are, are either interested in grad school, going to grad school. So what is life outside of that? And also with like this wave of what people are calling the great resignation and more people mm -hmm. rethinking what they want to do with their lives. I think the conversation of like, you know, taking breaks is really important, defining out, uh, ourselves outside of what we do, you know, outside of the, the professional, quote unquote, mm -hmm. professional roles or titles that we get um, is, is so critical and so important. And it's like valuable. I feel like everybody deserves a break. You know, not mm -hmm. all of us are able to or have the are, are in the privileged position to be able to take it. But um, even just like planting that seed is is good you know so that way folks can like set themselves up to be in the space where they can either take a break or or be more kind of intentional with the kind of work that they do so thank yeah. you so much Diana. <laughs> yeah and the last thing that i'll say i think is like one of the things to sort of set yourself up if you're thinking about a break is that you really have to trust yourself that like you will get a job because that's the thing after, right? like, after the break yeah, yeah like I, I think, wonder about that for myself too yeah no and like you know I'm getting yeah. to like the six months and I'm gonna and start applying for jobs and I'm like oh my god like a little thought of like oh what are they they're gonna see my resume and like six see the six months and like start thinking blah 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 like all these thoughts and I'm like, well, I don't want to work in a place that is going to judge me for taking a break <laughs> or is right. going to think other things like make assumptions of me making a break. Like, let me tell you what happened as opposed to like make assumptions. And so you really have to trust yourself that you have the skills, the knowledge to be able to get a job. And I'm talking to myself right now <laughs> because <laughs> that, that is going to start coming up a little bit more as I apply for jobs because, um, you know, it's there, but people have the skills and knowledge like the job jobs are always going to be there and that's right you know obviously not necessarily the quote-unquote perfect but there will always be ways of making money and um and the more that we can get sort of uh, more yeah i'll leave it at that <laughs> <laughs>
And, and then, okay, last, last thing for sure. Mm -hmm. If folks um, resonated with what you said and would like to reach out or, or connect in some way, shape or form, is there a way for them to connect with you? Um, yeah, so the platform that I share um, first, Jen um, Ann. Um, so in June, I was gonna launch it and then I got all this joint pain um, and I'm like, okay, I need to take a break. So I'll be launching a little bit more um, early next year, 2022. Um, and for example, one of the workshops that I want to do is um, taking medical leave for mental health, which is something I did right before I took this break, um, because I'm literally the only one that I know <laughs> has done that. Um, and I had to Google a bunch of things. Um, and so that would be one way to, um, to follow more on like what I learned and what I want to share with people around being first generation um, and our multidimensional experiences that we hold. Awesome. So we'll make sure to follow first gen and, and see uh, how it develops. I'm, I'm excited about it. And I know that workshop, I could have taken that one. <laughs> I needed it. <laughs> All I, right. Yeah. Myself needed it like years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Diana. It was really great chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you tune in. You can also support the podcast by donating to my Patreon page, Anchor page, or Venmo account, which is at Grad School Fem Touring. If you have questions or episode topics, you can contact me by sending me a DM on Instagram sending me an email to gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com, sending me a voice message on Anchor, or sending me a message via my personal website at yvettemartinezvu.com. Until next time.